right. If you got your Bibles, let's go to Mark chapter 2. While you're turning there, um, I'll tell you a little story. Something happened to me recently that was unusual. Uh, a few weeks ago, I um, was driving to Granny Squirrel Dump. Some of you might take your trash there as well. Um, and usually when I, when I do that, um, there is uh, no one there. I don't usually see another vehicle. But uh, this day I pulled in and, uh, and there was a guy already on the road in front of me on the gravel road and he pulled up, you know, to the number dumpster. If, you, if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, oh, I need to dump in number nine. Okay. So we pull up close to the dumpster and we both get out of our vehicles at the same time, um, open up the trunk and I go and grab my bags and he's grabbing his and he turns around and he goes, hey man, this is like 740 in the morning. He's like, hey, man, you know Jesus loves you? And I was like, uh, yeah. He's like, anybody told you that today? And I was like, no, um, but I do know that he does. I said, because he's alive, ain't he? And he was like, that's right. And I was like, man, I'm meeting a brother in Christ here at the dump. You know, like this is going to be a cool conversation. Um, little did I know, uh, 30 minutes later, it was a very discouraging conversation. Uh, it turned really quickly. And uh, just to wrap it up in, in a nutshell, this dude believed uh, that he has never sinned. He believes that he's always been saved. He believes that all of Israel is saved. He believes that um, 99.999% of professing Christians today are going to hell because they think they're sinners. And he also believes that I am a rebel fool for reading a Bible that's not the KJV. And that's when I said goodbye. Um, but I, I left the dump that day, like my head was spinning. Like I was like, I was really confused and discouraged um, and just really sad. Uh, I was sad for this guy because he was not humble enough to admit that he had a problem, to admit that he had a need. Um, and, and he couldn't see his greatest problem. He couldn't see his greatest need, which I believe we see tonight in our passage. We're going to see four things. We're going to see our greatest need, our greatest problem, uh, our greatest miracle, and our greatest Savior. We're going to see that our greatest need is for the word. It's, it's the gospel. It's Jesus. Our greatest problem is sin. Our greatest miracle is forgiveness of sin. And our greatest savior is Jesus, the God-man, who can forgive and heal totally. Uh, we're going to continue to see that Jesus has power and pity, right? We saw that last week. We're going to continue to see that on display this week. Uh, we already know he has unequaled authority in teaching, um, and tonight, the focus is going to be on Jesus' uniqueness in his authority to forgive sins, right? So um, we know last week we learned a great deal about prayer, about the unclean leper who was made clean. Uh, and as I was reflecting on that passage again throughout the week, um, I couldn't help but think about the excitement around the air when Jesus 
healed this guy. Um, because remember we talked about he had to walk around going unclean, unclean, I'm unclean if you saw anybody else. Um, but then after Jesus showed him pity and touched him, he became clean and he got to walk around going, I'm clean, I'm clean, I'm clean. Like he could touch people, he could hug people, he could tell people we know he did, go out blabbing his mouth even though Jesus told him not to. Right, but he got to go out proclaiming that. All because of the power of Jesus, the, the pity of King Jesus. And in our passage tonight, we're only going to be in the first 12 verses. We're going to see a very familiar text. A lot of you, if you grew up in church, you're, you're very uh, well aware of this story of the healing of the paralytic whose friends brought him to Jesus. But it's more than the power of Jesus to heal physically. I don't want us to miss this because the main point is Jesus' authority to forgive sins. So let's uh, read in God's word, Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so there was no room even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. And now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who could forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they were questioning within themselves said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, go home. He rose and immediately picked up his bed, went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Let's pray. Oh God, I pray that you would bless the reading of your word. That we would not be able to walk away from here tonight without acknowledging our great need. Without seeing our greatest problem. Without hearing from your word the most incredible words that human ears could hear. That our sins are forgiven because of Jesus. Grant us faith to believe it. Lord, that we would trust you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the, the, there's a lot of cool points in this passage, okay? There's a lot of takeaways that we could learn. There's some practical things we could do that we're, we'll see, but the most important point, the main point, is Jesus has authority to forgive sins, Right? He does heal, right? but it's, it's Jesus' authority to heal spiritually and physically that brings God glory. In the first two verses, we're reminded that, that Jesus had been traveling around. Because remember last week, he went out preaching to, around Galilee. He's come back um, to Capernaum. And a lot of people believe he came back to Peter's house. That this is basically their home base of operations. All right? Uh, and so news is spread that he's, he's back, he's returned. 
Uh, and, and of course, we see this familiar scene here, right? That there's crowds of people coming to Jesus. And, and in my mind, when I hear that there's not enough room, I'm not a fan of crowds. I don't know if any of you are. Um, I'm reminded of that every time I go to a, a bigger city. But if you could think of like a concert or a big football game, or a theme park where everybody's waiting to get in. They haven't opened the doors yet, right? And it's just people are jostling. It's hot. It's sweaty. You're touching other people. People are touching you. They're pushing you in the back, right? Like there's no room here at the door for anybody to get through the door. Everybody's just trying to listen to Jesus. And it says that he's doing what he came to do. He's doing the main thing he came to do. His main priority, like he said last week, is to preach the gospel. It's to proclaim the word. And this is what he's doing in the first two verses. He's proclaiming the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God, that we should repent and believe. He's calling sinners to repent. And he's, he's calling people to realize that God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve, much like we read in our corporate reading in Psalm 103. He has compassion on us. And we need to hear this word. We need to hear this gospel on a regular basis. We can never get over the gospel, right? We need to, we need to hear it because we need it. My boys, they, they, just like any young boys, they, they always ask whenever you go somewhere, Daddy, can I have this? I, I want this. I need this. Daddy, I need this. Me and Allie have tried to train them. What do you need? And they'll respond with, Jesus, water, and food. That's, I mean, that's all you need, bro. That's all you need. Jesus, water, and food. Our greatest need is Jesus, period. Right? We need the word. We need Jesus, who is the word. Jesus is not only proclaiming the gospel, as we've already seen and heard. Jesus is the gospel. We need the gospel because our greatest problem is we can't save ourselves. We can't heal ourselves. We can't forgive ourselves apart from Jesus. And we see this vividly illustrated in the next couple verses. Look at verses three and four. It says, they came bringing him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And what it doesn't say and what, what you don't know um, is that their houses didn't look like ours, right? They had stairs on the outside of their house, on beside the wall, where they would go upstairs to the roof of the house, which was flat. Most of those houses, had, they were made of thatch and, and clay and had some beams up there. And, and so this was totally different. They would do a lot of things. Their, their roof functioned more like a front porch for us. Okay, so they'd do some sunbathing up there, you know, maybe have some meals, stuff like that. Um, and so... These guys decided since they couldn't get in, they were going to go upstairs on top of the house. And what do they do? They remove the roof. I want us to look at this scene because it's an unbelievable scene from three perspectives. I want us to look at this scene from the perspective of the crowd, from the perspective of the friends, and from the perspective of Jesus. Firstly, we're going to see from the perspective of the crowd. These people are clamoring to witness another healing. They've already heard what Jesus has done. A lot of them have seen it. They're bringing their friends. They're telling their friends, hey, let's go. Let's go. Let's go get a glimpse of Jesus. Let's go listen to Jesus. Nobody teaches like him. Nobody does the things that he does. I've never seen anybody do this. Come, let's listen. So curiosity is piqued by this mysterious man who's drawing a ton of attention. Today, 
if Jesus was here, he would be trending. He'd be viral, right? People would be having their phones out and he would be getting millions of views on YouTube or Reels or whatever, right? That, that's what the, the, this, get that in your mind, right? The, the crowd is intently paying attention to what Jesus is saying. They're locked in. They're listening. They don't know what's going to happen because with Jesus, it's always unexpected. He always does the unexpected. Now let's think on it from the friend's perspective and, and, and think about how amazing these friends are, right? They've heard Jesus is in town. They know that he has, they ha- he has power. He has pity on people. They believe that he can do for their friend what nobody else can do, what they can't do for their friend. Their friend doesn't have legs that work, but they have faith that has legs, and so they get to work. They go, and they take their friend. I want you to notice how often it says in verses 3 and 4, they. Like, read it. They came. They could not get in. They unroofed the roof. They made an opening. They let their friend down. They came to where Jesus would be. They hit an obstacle, the crowd. They couldn't get close to Jesus. So what do they do? Do they give up? No. Thinking maybe this could be the last chance that we see Jesus. He's left before. He might leave again. He might never return. This could be the last chance we get to see Jesus. And so they decide to do something very risky and very radical. They climb the stairs. They tote their paralyzed friend on a cot up to the roof. And they begin to claw at the roof. Think about this. When they left the house that day, they weren't like, hey, y'all, bring your shovels. Bring the pickaxe. Right? Like, no, this, this was not their plan A. Their plan A was to get to Jesus. But they didn't have the means, the tools that they needed to do what they were like, we're about to do this. We're about to bust up Peter's house. We're going to destroy his roof. And so can you imagine these friends on their hands and knees clawing at the clay, tearing away the thatch and the beams big enough to where they let the man down on his bed? Now, I don't know how big, like, I imagine, like, did they, like, wrap rope underneath his arms and, like, let him down? But, like, so it was, like, a hole this big? He wasn't a big dude? I don't know. It, we, don't, we don't see it, but we do know it was big enough to where the cot came down with him. The bed came down with him right in front of Jesus. So this is a vivid example of persistent faith. And we see this picture often in the scriptures. Jesus teaches about it, but here's an example of it. These friends have heart, Right? I was reminded of, of that recently. My kids tried out for basketball practice. It reminded me of tryouts back in the day. When coaches are looking at tryouts, they're, they're, they're surveying the kids trying out, right? They're looking for skill. They're looking for talent. But they're also looking for heart. Like, who's, who's going to try really hard? Like, because coaches want to, they want to they have people on the team who have a lot of the intangibles, a lot of things that people don't uh, see highlights of. When a scout goes and looks for a player and they're recruiting a player, you can ask almost any scout, all right? College scouts, pro scouts, they're looking for skill, they're looking for talent, but a lot of times they're looking for heart. They, they want to see 
what other people don't see. And these friends have some gusto. They've got some heart, right? And, and they had anticipation that their friend, they were expecting their friend to be healed. So a quick point of application, are you bringing your friends to Jesus through intercession? A lot of us don't have to carry our friends around on a cot. But are you bringing your friends to Jesus through intercession? Are you carrying your sin-sick friends in prayer before the one who can heal them? Now let's think on this scene lastly from Jesus' perspective. He's teaching. right? He's doing what he came to do. He's proclaiming the gospel. He's talking to these guys, these people, and he gets interrupted. Right? Now this isn't like a normal interruption. Usually if there's someone... Like, you've been in teaching situations, uh, in, in scenarios where there's a baby crying or somebody gets disruptive or whatever, somebody gets up, they go outside or they get taken outside, right? Th- this is not what this is. He's in the middle of preaching and parts of the roof start falling on his head, right? He doesn't continue probably because everybody else is distracted. You want to talk about a distraction. You just imagine being in here right now and then like a uh, part of the roof starts shaking and things start falling. Everybody's going to look up. Y'all know this is true. Even when there's a bee flying around or a fly, everybody's staring at it. Nobody's paying attention to the preacher, right? So imagine the roof falling. People are going to be looking at that. And just everybody stops and stares, okay? Everybody's like, what's going on? And Jesus is like, what's going on? Although he knows what's about to happen. Look at verse 5. This is the most important verse in this entire passage, right? We've already seen, now a lot of, a lot of the things in this passage we see are, are things you can see visibly, right? So we've already seen a lot of the things that we see. There's seen and there's unseen things in this passage. We're about to enter into what's unseen. We've already seen what is seen. Now let's see what's unseen. Look at verse five. Jesus saw their faith and he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven, He saw their faith. Whose faith? Well, at minimum, it's the four friends, right? But I personally believe it's all five of them. I think it's all five guys had faith. And this is the first time that that word faith is mentioned in the Gospel of Mark. And at base level, faith is the conviction of truth or belief in something or someone. But the Greek word for faith here is pistis, which means, according to the Blue Letter Bible, the conviction that God exists and is the creator and ruler of all things, the provider and bestower of eternal salvation through Christ. So in relation to Jesus, this means they believed and trusted that this man could heal their friend. This paralyzed man and his friends had faith that was seen by Jesus because Jesus sees what other people can't see. Our greatest problem. Jesus sees our greatest problem. A lot of people don't even see their own, their own greatest problem. These guys came in for the miraculous gift of healing. And everybody thinks they're about to see another healing. And Jesus has a message for all of them. He does something shocking. He goes over to the man, and he says, son, your sins 
are forgiven. Or maybe I forgive you of your sins. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus saw this man's greatest problem, and he provided for him his greatest need. He was physically sick, but Jesus knew he was spiritually sick more than physically sick. And so what does Jesus do? He goes straight to the heart. That's what he does. And still today, Jesus aims for the heart. He seeks to heal spiritually and to provide forgiveness of sins before physically. And these words are needed for us today. They're needed for that man then. They're needed for us today. They're unexpected then, right? They're, they're friends and everybody else was expecting, like, because they were focusing on the outward circumstances of this dude's situation. They were not focusing on his inward situation, the inward posture of his heart. As I was studying this, I, I, was, I started to think about Joni Erickson Tata, right? And, and I don't know if she said this or not. I couldn't find it. But if you know anything about her, she's a quadriplegic. And I think she said at one point in time, I'd rather my sins be forgiven than walk. That's shocking. Right? She used to be, if you know anything about her story, she used to be an active young lady, an athlete, uh, and she had a swimming accident and was paralyzed for the rest of her life, confined to a wheelchair. And she tells, in her testimony, she tells where she profusely, like intentionally, deliberately sought out physical healing and would go to healing crusades and people who claimed to have the, the gift of healing and would go to all these people and she would, she would ask them to heal her. And she would do everything she could, everything people asked her to do, she would do in order to be physically healed. And she was extremely upset, even mad at God, because he would not heal her physically so that she could get her legs back, so that she could get the use of her arms back, so she could be the swimmer she used to be. But she learned that God was up to something unseen, something more important than her physical healing. And this is what she said. This is a direct quote. I learned that the core of Christ's plan is to rescue us from sin. Our physical aches and pains and broken relationships aren't his ultimate focus. He cares deeply about these things, but they're symptoms of the chief problem in this fallen world. God's goal is not to make us comfortable. He wants to teach us to hate our transgressions, to hate our sin, as he grows our love for him. Does God miraculously heal? Sure he does. But in this broken world, it's still the exception, not the rule. A no answer to my request for a miraculous physical healing has meant purged sin, a love for the lost, increased compassion, stretched hope, an appetite for grace, an increase of faith, a happy longing for heaven, a desire to serve, a delight in prayer, and a hunger for his word. Oh, bless the stern schoolmaster that is my wheelchair. What an amazing perspective. She wouldn't have learned any of that if she was healthy, happy, whole. Even though she couldn't walk physically, she found in her infirmity a closer walk with God and a deeper dependence upon him. How every human being needs to hear these words, your sins are forgiven. Through Jesus alone, 
right? Even if you don't feel like it, your sins are forgiven. This man and his friends were probably shocked to hear this, but not nearly as shocked as the jokers who were on the front row. Look at verse 6. The scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Notice it doesn't say out loud, questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So immediately these religious leaders have some questions and some accusations that they're hurling at Jesus, but not out loud. Who is this man? Why does he talk like this? Who does he think he is? Only God can forgive sins. And you know what? They're right. They're not wrong here. This is the, like one of the only times that they were right. Right? He would be blaspheming if he's not God in the flesh. If Jesus is not God in the flesh, then he's blaspheming. And here's something I didn't know that I learned this week. The Jews didn't think that the Messiah could forgive sins. God alone has the authority to forgive sins because all sin is ultimately rebellion against him, the Holy One, God Almighty, Yahweh. So think about this. If I had the guy, usually these guys sit on the front row. If they were here, I'd ask them to come up here. Let's think, if we had uh, Brandon and uh, Jason and Hezekiah up here right now, okay? And let's say that um, Jason smacks Brandon in the face. And Hezekiah goes up to Brandon and says, "Um, I'm sorry. And then he looks at Jason and says, I forgive you. Brandon would look at Hezekiah and say, bro, he didn't smack you. He smacked me. You don't have the authority to forgive him. He sinned against me. But here, to our knowledge, Jesus has never met this man. Him and this paralyzed man have never interacted. They've never talked with each other. How has this man sinned against Jesus? That Jesus could walk up to him and legitimately say, I forgive you. Your sins are forgiven. How? Because ultimately, all sin is first and foremost against God. Our our sin is a slap in the face of God, first and foremost. By Jesus saying, your sins are forgiven, he's claiming to do something only God can do. Forgive sins. Provide healing to a human soul. And the religious leaders are picking up on this bold claim and they're questioning in their hearts. And I love the fact, my father-in-law pointed this out. I love the fact that through these verses, this is a conversation that Jesus has with these dudes, but it's never out loud. They don't speak one time. It's fascinating. But it doesn't matter if they don't speak because they're talking inside. And Jesus not only knows, he not only sees things that other people can't see, into, the, into your heart, but he knows things that other people don't know. He knows all things. Look at verse 8. Immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they were questioning amongst themselves, said, why do you question these things in your heart? So Mark, he uses his favorite word again. 
It's like almost every sermon we're going to have Mark's favorite word immediately at once at the very moment, at the very moment that they were thinking in their hearts. Jesus knew what they were thinking. So this is displaying, Mark's pointing out what Jesus is doing. He's displaying the characteristics of God alone. God's omniscience, I know all things. I know what you're thinking. This is supernatural discernment. Jesus knows your thoughts. Jesus knows my thoughts. I don't know about you, but that tells me he's really merciful. If he knows my thoughts, how merciful is he that I'm still here, that I'm still alive, that my heart's still beating? He sees inside of me, yet he still forgives me. Jesus knew that they were murmuring on the inside, that they had a critical spirit on the inside. That, that word question here means reasoning. They were deliberating in their minds. They're pondering in, in their heart. And when it says heart, for us, we, we automatically think your corazón, right? Su corazón? No, your is it your heart, like the physical organ? No, for them, it was, this is the seat of all your thoughts, the center of the human being, all of your intellect, all of your emotions, all of your will, the center of who you are. These religious leaders are all stirred up inside. They're upset. And they say, it's, you know, Jesus, it's one thing to say what you're saying, but can you prove it? Jesus knows that they have questions, and so, like he does often, he asks them questions. But he asks these questions out loud so that everybody could hear. Verse 9, which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? So Jesus is pointing out the seen and the unseen right here in these verses. No one can see that someone's sin is unforgiven. That's invisible. But everybody can see that this paralyzed man is laying on a mat. And if he jumps up, when Jesus says, get up, then clearly everybody sees that. But nobody could see if Jesus walks over and sees, oh, his sins are forgiven as soon as Jesus said it. It's easier to say your sins are forgiven because that can't be proved. It would be hard for a man to cause a paralytic to get up and walk. But from another perspective, in the long run, it's easier for Jesus to heal the man physically, knowing that the greater healing of his sins being forgiven would cost Jesus his life later. The Bible says in Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Jesus knew as he looked at the paralytic that he would lay down his life and shed his own blood for that man and that's why he had the authority to say your sins are forgiven. Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Jesus saw the cross in his future. He knew he would lay down his life as a ransom. And so he says in verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. A few months ago, me and Allie 
got visited by some folks who we didn't recognize. We usually know every vehicle that pulls up our driveway, but this van pulls up. We didn't know who they were. We happened to be outside, and as soon as they got out of the car, I was like, ah, oh, got some J-dubs in the house, right? And so if you don't know what J-dubs are, the Jehovah's Witnesses, right? So these two ladies come up, and, and so we welcome them into the carport, and, and we're like, hey, how y'all doing? You know, and they're like, we're just out sharing hope, spreading hope. And we're, we're like, cool, what's your hope in? And they're like, their hope was in a, a future paradise, the future of God's kingdom to come. And, uh, and they said, what's your hope in? And Allie said, Jesus. And that threw them off. As soon as she said Jesus, she said, our hope's in Jesus alone. That, that threw them off because they aren't Christians. I want to be very clear here. Jehovah's Witnesses, much like Mormons, are not Christians because they don't believe what we believe about Jesus. At the core of Christianity is what you believe about Jesus. Jehovah's Witnesses literally believe, this is on their website, they believe that Jesus was created. They believe that he is just a powerful spirit. They believe that he's lesser than the Father. They also believe that Jesus is not God Almighty. One of them said to us, when they clearly realized that we do believe all of those things, that he was never created, that he's the creator, that there's never been a point in time where he did not exist, that he's not just a spirit, he's fully God, fully man. When they realized that, one of them said, but Jesus himself never explicitly said, I am God. To which I said, have you never read the Gospel of John where he says, I am, multiple times? What about all the I am statements? And then Ali said, what about that time when uh, he rose from the grave and uh, Thomas came uh, before him and Thomas fell on his face and said, my Lord and my God. What about that time? This threw him off even more because they didn't believe that Jesus rose physically. They think he died, but they think he rose as a spirit. They don't think he rose physically from the grave. They believe that right now he's a spirit being. Right now. They don't believe that he's God in the flesh. Right here in this passage, in Mark 2, Jesus claims deity. He claims authority to forgive sins. It's one thing to say, your sins are forgiven. But Jesus, can you prove it? Can you prove his sins are forgiven? Can you back up those words that we heard? Because those are unseen with some seen action. I want you to notice the power of God's word in this passage. When God speaks, things happen. It doesn't take time, right? It takes time for us to create things, right? When he says things, things happen. Jesus turns his attention from the religious leaders. He doesn't even give them a chance to answer the question, right? He turns his attention from the religious leaders to the paralytic, and he gives three commands. 
Look at verse 12. Three simple commands. Rise, pick up, go home. What does he do? He rose immediately, at once. And I want you to think about this, okay? If you've ever seen somebody who's, who's paralyzed, they have muscle atrophy, right? If you don't know what that is, let me explain it to you. Um, I ruptured my Achilles tendon in 2014, okay? I had to have surgery, and I was laid up in a recliner and in the bed and then on a knee scooter for like six months, okay? When I got off of that and I started to try to learn again, I had to do physical therapy. My right leg was way smaller than my left leg. And still to this day, my right calf is not the same. It's not the same as the other one. I can't do what I used to do off my right leg like I can off my left leg. I had severe muscle atrophy, meaning the muscles just deteriorate. If you don't use them, they just shrivel up. Super skinny, right? It took me years to get any muscle tone back at all in my one leg. Think about this, right? If this dude has been paralyzed, we don't know how long, right? He doesn't have a lot of muscle tone, right? But at Jesus' words, muscles, tendons, tissue, sinew come together. Boom, just like that. It appears full health, right? No physical therapy needed. No praying, no pleading, no surgery. Just like that, the man rose. He gets up in front of everybody. He picks up his bed and he walks out. Jesus did the miracle they could see with their eyes so that they would know the greatest miracle of forgiveness, which they could not see, was also done as well. This paralytic got lowered down by his friends. He goes from being a man laying helpless on the floor with no use, no strength, to up and at him. He gets up. He picks up his bed. Something he was used to being confined to. He picks it up because it doesn't confine him or define him anymore. And he, he came in bound up. He walks out free. He came in laying on the floor. He went out standing before them all. And I'm pretty sure he probably stood taller than he'd ever stood before. He came in lame. He went out leaping. And rumor has it that he went and started a roof repair business shortly after. I'm pretty sure that, like, he probably went back and was like, let me help repair the roof, right? That it doesn't say that in the text. But, I mean, in all seriousness, I guarantee you, nobody was glorifying God more than this dude. Was he thankful for his new ability to walk? You better believe it. But more than that, he probably used his legs to go around and tell everybody, I've got a clean heart. Jesus forgave my sins. 
All my sins have been wiped away. Jesus forgave my sins. These legs that you see that I'm using, that he gave to me to use, they're going to grow old and weak. And one day I'm going to end up back in that bed and I'm going to die. But what grows stronger and stronger in me every day is the clean heart that he gave me to know that my sins have been forgiven. He'd never forget the healing. He'd never forget the greatest miracle that Jesus went after his heart first before his legs. And I couldn't help but wonder, was this man at the cross? Did his legs that Jesus gave him carry him to the cross to see his Savior, to see his healer, to see the one who forgave him of his sins die and shed his blood? It's curious to to wonder how many people did Jesus heal who were at the cross, who saw him. But Jesus proves his authority to forgive and heal by ultimately rising from the dead. In his commentary, Mark Strauss says, in talking about forgiveness and healing, the peace with God achieved through Christ's sacrificial work on the cross means not only forgiveness of sins, salvation of our souls and eternal life, but also the restoration and renewal of creation, including the renewal of our bodies. So the story of Jesus healing and forgiving the paralyzed man is ultimately a picture of God's full restoration spiritually and physically of all his creation for his glory. And that's how this passage ends. For his glory, all people were glorifying God and amazed Isaiah 35 says, Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then they shall, then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Do you see your need for the word? Do you see your problem, the greatest problem, unforgiven sin? Do you see the greatest miracle of forgiveness in Christ alone? Do you see Jesus as he is, fully God, fully man, the Son of Man, the Lord of glory? Do you hear Jesus using terms of affection towards you? Son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. Only those who have received forgiveness can actually extend forgiveness to those in our sphere of influence. 1 John 1, 7-10 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Listen to God's word and trust Jesus. He has proven time and time again that he has pity and he has power to save to heal, to forgive all of your sin. All of your sin, past, present, and future. My prayer is that nobody would walk out of this room tonight without knowing the good news of the gospel. The forgiveness of sins is available 
and know the benefits of forgiveness. The, the, the freedom that we have in forgiveness. If you have been forgiven, if you know your sins are forgiven, then you know you've been set free from your past. You're, you're free now in the, in the present. You're free in the future. You're free from guilt. You're free from shame. That no longer identifies you anymore. You've got a clean heart. You've got a clear conscience. There's peace with God because of forgiveness. Do you know that all of your sins have been covered and that the penalty of your sins have been paid for by the blood of Jesus? Think about this. These two familiar words. My sins... Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sins, not in part, but the whole, have been nailed to the cross, and I bear them no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would be overwhelmed by your gospel tonight that we would be reminded for some of us who have known you for years of the wonder and the beauty of forgiveness. And for those who do not know you, for those who have never heard you clearly say, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. Oh God, I pray that you would open their eyes to see their greatest problem and their greatest need and that you have provided the greatest miracle of all because apart from you there is no forgiveness oh lord may we not walk out of this room without glorifying you and being amazed at the cross of christ but more than that we worship a god who is alive and because of your resurrection, you validated and people saw you physically alive. Oh Lord, grant us faith. We trust you. We need you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.